Some of you might be aware, if you're a follower of Jesus or familiar with Scripture, that um, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the Jewish understanding of God is really anchored in the story of uh, this interaction of Moses with God at the burning bush. You can find it in uh, Exodus 3. Uh, it's a season and a time where God calls Moses to do something really amazing for him. Uh, basically, God is calling Moses to go and confront Pharaoh and to demand that he lets God's people go after they've been in slavery for 40 years. Um, actually, more than that, 400 years. Uh, Moses, you can imagine, is not excited about this. He's not excited about going to Egypt. He's not excited about being the one that has to lead God's people out of, out of slavery. Uh, he's got all kinds of excuses why he doesn't want to do that. Um, but he basically lands in this one moment where he says to God, um, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what name? Uh, and he says, then, then what should I tell him? And God replies to Moses and he says this, he says, I am, I am, this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses, I think, was anticipating the fact that he was going to run into a lot of speculation from the people. He was going to run into some pushback. He was going to run into some confusion. And so he was wanting to make sure that he himself had a clear understanding uh, and a clear way of communicating who this God was that was speaking to him from this burning bush. Uh, and also so that he would have a way of speaking to Pharaoh so that he had, he had proper authority. Uh, similarly today, I would propose to you that I think there's a lot of speculation, a lot of confusion, uh, a lot of uncertainty about who God is about what he's like, about what his nature is, about what his character's like, about what he wants from us, what kind of relationship does he want from us. And what we're going to look at in the next seven weeks um, is a series that, that I think will help us hopefully come to some grounding and some answers in that. Uh, as we come to the New Testament, again, if you're familiar with scriptures and familiar with, with Christ, what we find is that Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, uh, is connecting who he is to this reality of this Old Testament understanding that Moses received at, the, at that burning bush moment. And what we're going to look at is the fact that Jesus is going to make seven statements, in the Gospel of John in particular, where he's basically connecting and claiming that just as God told Moses, I am that I am, Jesus is connecting himself to say, I am who I am. Now the Gospel of John, really the main focus is that he's trying to make a case for why Jesus is worthy of being believed in. And Jesus is making a case for saying, I am who I am. Now, again, I think it's really important because I think a lot of people today, and maybe some of us here in this room or online, are asking, again, what is God like? What's the point of God or the point of religion? What does he claim to do for us? What does he want from us? And what we're going to look at over this next few weeks is seven statements that Jesus makes where he says, I am, and he fills in the blank. Now, again, what he's going to be do doing for us is defining who God is and what kind of relationship God wants for us. And so in some regards, you could almost call this series like Jesus according to Jesus. But what I'm going to propose to you and what we as a team are going to propose to you is that Jesus is not just trying to tell us who God is. I think what Jesus is doing in his seven I am statements is that he's actually beginning to speak to seven core longings of the human heart. Seven longings that we're all created with that all humanity is created with. And Jesus is trying to present those to us and show us the manner and the way in which not only is he God, but he also is the fulfillment of all the longings that you and I have. I think most of the conversations that I have with people both within our community and outside that aren't followers of Christ yet, there's always these questions about, again, who God is, what does he want from us, all of this. And actually, it's really not about all of that stuff often. 
but it's more about the longings of our heart and trying to discern and figure out what is it that I'm really after? What is it that I'm really seeking? And if there really is a God or if there really is more to this life, then does that God know and does he care about these longings that I have? If he's created me and he loves me, does he care about these longings that I have? You know, this morning we started with that question, if you could pick just one thing that you could consume for a week, what would it be? Well, I believe Jesus is going to speak to that for us today and also connect it with the relationship between the things that we consume and the longings that we carry within our hearts. In order to do that, we're going to open up uh, the Gospel of John and we're going to look at the first statement that Jesus makes, the first I am statement that Jesus makes, and we're going to find it in John chapter 6. Now, John chapter 6 is, is long and it's dense, and the section we're going to look at is kind of right in the middle. Before we jump in, I want to give you kind of the context uh, of, of all the verses that we're going to be looking at. Uh, if you're familiar with, again, the scriptures, John chapter 6, it starts with uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And what we see there, again, is that um, Jesus has been uh, working around in the area. He's been doing miracles. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He's been bringing healing and life and freedom to people in the area. And so what happens is Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. Uh, John chapter 6 in the beginning tells us that what he does is he goes up to this mountain. And as he's up on the mountain, he begins to see that all these people gather to him. And he has compassion on them. He sees them. And he, he basically um, you know, engages with them, teaches them. And then instead of turning them away, he looks at his disciples and he says, how, how are we going to feed them? Like, it's late, it's dark, we can't turn them away. We've got to care for them. And so they're like, oh my gosh, like 200 denarii wouldn't be enough to even just feed half of this group. And so what are we going to do? And Andrew, one of his disciples, looks and finds this little boy who has five loaves and two fish, right? And Jesus says, bring it to me. And Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish and he raises it up and he blesses it and he thanks the Father for it. And then he has his disciples disseminate it to all the people. And we're told here in verse 13 that they actually, after everybody ate and had their fill, it says, there's actually 12 more baskets of fragmented barley loaves left over that the people had. And so the people then actually go, oh my gosh, this is the prophet who's come to save us. And it says that they tried to forcibly take him and make him king. They saw that he fulfilled one of their physical needs, and so they want to make him king. And so Jesus runs and he hides, and he goes up to the mountain by himself. Now, as he's doing that, his disciples then, night comes, and his disciples get in the boat, and they start going across um, the sea to go to Capernaum. And we're told that they're, they're about three, four miles off, and Jesus comes to them in the middle of the night. They're afraid, and he says, you know, peace be with you, it's just me. He gets in the boat, they continue along the journey, they land on the other side in Capernaum, and as they get there, it's morning time. And so in the morning now what happens is on this next day, people were looking around for Jesus because he just did this amazing miracle of feeding them, and there's already leftovers. Again, the physical needs had been met. They were able to consume something that they liked, and so they're looking for Jesus, and he's not there. So they get in boats, and they cross over, and they find Jesus on this other side with his disciples. And it says here that they actually, they're able to do two and two, and they go, wait, we saw your disciples leave. You weren't in the boat. How did you get here? And they're like, who is this guy? And we're going to jump in here now in verse 25 after it says that they were seeking Jesus. And in verse 25, this is what it says. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? 
Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, then give us this bread always. Now there's two really important words at the beginning of the section we just read that I want to look at with you just really simply. And they're simple words, but yet they're pretty profound for us to be able to understand the rest of what's going on here. The first word is the word seeking. We're told all throughout this uh, narrative of, of chapter 6 that the people were seeking Jesus. If we had read through the beginning of, of 6, 1 to 24, the word seeking would have popped up two or three times. And then right here at the beginning, Jesus says, you are seeking me. Seeking in this context means similar to what we would think, right? It's, it's searching for, it's desiring, it's this word longing, but also making an effort for, Okay. The second word that's important for us that's in the beginning here, and again, pretty simple word, means, means pretty much what we think it means, but I, we need to highlight it. It's the word labor. Jesus says to them, do not labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. And the word labor, again, means exactly what you think. It's to work, to toil, but also to rush for. And I think what's important for us to think about in these two words and understand is kind of those two latter parts of how it can be used in the Greek and is presented here. That seeking is this idea of making an effort for something. And that laboring is, what am I rushing for? What is it that I'm, I'm hastily trying to acquire and go after? And so Jesus says to them, don't, you're seeking me, and great, do that, but don't labor for food just that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. If you're paying attention as I was reading that, you'll remember that what they said then was, oh, well, you know, God fed our people, God fed us, the, you know, through Moses. He gave us manna throughout the desert. And what he's recalling is Exodus 16, 17, when the people were wandering after they were set free from Pharaoh. They're wandering now, and they're in the desert for 40 years. And in between, they're wandering from, uh, from Egypt over to Canaan. God provided for them mightily and in a beautiful way by providing them daily manna to eat. And they're, they're fixated on this. And you, through this interaction, everything that they're talking about is going back to the physical. Think about their question to Jesus, where did you come from? And then Jesus tells them, and he says, don't labor. And then they say to him, well, what, what work do we have to do? What work uh, do we have to do to be doing the work of God? And then Jesus says, uh, the work of God is that you would believe. And they said, well, then what sign are you going to do? Like they're constantly caught up in thinking about this physical idea of their physical needs, their physical desires. And what do they have to do or what is someone else going to do to labor for them on, on their behalf? What effort is going to be made, Jesus, either by us or by you, to satisfy these needs that we have. And again, their focus is so much on the physical that they're totally blind to the words that Jesus is saying and the reality of, of what he's getting at. But what Jesus patiently and lovingly does over and over and over is trying to get them to open their eyes to see and to understand that their greatest longing, this fixation on food, this fixation on bread, this fixation on manna, actually isn't about that at all, but it's about the deeper longing and hunger within their heart a deeper longing of their soul for something truly satisfying. See, part of the point of the feeding of the 5,000, I believe the reason why this is within the context and in, in, in here anyways, is the fact that Jesus sees and he cares for the physical needs of humanity, does he not? He sees, he knows, he not only compassionately cares and provides, but he abundantly provides for them. And yet, as they're talking to Jesus, these guys, in a sense, have the gall to say, Jesus, what sign are you going to do to show us that you're here and you can provide for us? And he's like, what? I, 
I just fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And actually, the only reason why you're here is because you saw me do that miracle. And actually, the only reason why you showed up at that miracle and in that field was because you saw the healings and the things that I was doing around. That, that's what John chapter 6, uh, verse 3 actually says, is that they came because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And again, Jesus just lovingly and compassionately is trying to get them to open their eyes and their hearts to perceive and understand that their greatest longing, their greatest need is not about the physical realities. It's about the, the longings of their heart. They didn't show up at the hill because they actually needed bread, <laughs> right? They showed up at that hill because there was a longing in their heart for something much more. And they saw Jesus begin to answer those longings. And yet now when they get in this place where they're interacting and actually engaging with Jesus and he's presenting them an opportunity to live by faith, what they constantly keep doing is turning back to what they knew before and turning back to these things that are just focused on the physical. It's like their own experience of God's goodness to them has actually blinded them from the goodness that God wants to do for them now. Their own experience of God's love and provision for their physical reality has actually blinded them from the work that God wants to now do in Christ for their spiritual need. Jesus is trying to help them see your spiritual needs exist. Those really speak to the longings of your soul. And God has made a new provision for you as I come to you in the flesh. Yes, there was, there was manna and there was that flesh in a sense that you ate in the desert. And that story's been told to you and it's part of your history and it's rich and it's good and it speaks of God's love for you. But actually it points to something far greater. And so they say to Jesus, Sir, then give us this bread always. And so Jesus says, Okay, let me tell you a little bit more about this bread because you're asking for this bread and you still don't understand truly what you're asking for. And so in verse 35, Jesus goes on and says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This little section that we read, verse 35, starts with Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And it ends with Jesus saying, whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. And in between these five verses, there's a repeated phrase. It's whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. Jesus is trying to redefine for the people what exactly life is. What he's pointing to, the reality for them, that all throughout the scriptures is that eternal life, which these guys are also aware of and desiring as Jews and, and even in the crowds, that eternal life is equal to union with God. That, that that's really the heart all throughout scripture, that eternal life is union with God. From the garden to the desert, from the promised land, to the city, to the incarnation, to what will happen in the new heaven and the earth, all throughout scripture, eternal life is defined as union with God. Does that make sense? You guys track with me on that? And so what Jesus is speaking here to is this, again, trying to help them lift up their eyes and realize, you keep talking about this physical stuff, but what your heart is actually longing for 
is something much greater. It's to know that your life has value. It's to know that your life has worth. It's to know that you have the ability to have satisfaction for those things that your soul longs for, and it comes through me. You keep talking about water. (laughs) You keep talking about bread. Well, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me is not going to hunger. Whoever believes in me is not going to thirst. All throughout, again, Jesus is pointing that all throughout the Old Testament, there is references not only to the manna, but also to water, to broken cisterns, to wells, to this desire. In John chapter 4, Jesus interacted with the woman at the well, right? And there's a similar thing there. There's this interaction, and she's, she's, hung, she's thirsty, and she says, Sir, give me this water. And Jesus says, If you believe in me, if you come to me, springs of living water will well up from inside of you. You will have this new quality of life, this new way of understanding life. There will be a new satisfaction for you in this physical life because your soul is connected to me. See, here's one of the truths that I think Jesus is pointing at. And if, if, again, you're familiar with the scriptures, you see, when you hang out with Jesus, you're always going to get a meal. You know what I'm saying? When you hang out with Jesus, you're always going to get a meal. If you're hungry, he's going to feed you. When you hang out with Jesus, you're always going to get a drink of water that's going to satisfy you. If you're thirsty, he's never going to withhold that from you. But what Jesus is pointing at is that's not the deepest need that we have. That's not the deepest longing that we have. I think it's similar to what John says that we looked at, or excuse me, Matthew says that we looked at just really briefly last week is when the people were worried and he says, don't, don't worry about how you're gonna, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, all these things, but seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Folks, when we hang out with Jesus, we're always going to get a meal. We don't need to be fixated on that. We don't need to worry about that. We don't need to beat the bush constantly, constantly of that. Where's my next meal going to come from? Where's this going to happen? Where are all these things? Jesus is saying, look, all that stuff actually is pointing to a deeper longing within your soul, a desire for me, a desire to be in intimate and close relationship with me. And when you have that, which I am here to give you freely, when you have that, everything else will be put in proper perspective. Everything else will pale in comparison to that. The things that you seek, the things that you think you have to labor and toil for and claw after and rush after, all of those things, I'll, I'll give those to you. Why? Because I see and know that you have those needs. But your greatest need that you have is actually for your soul to be satisfied through union with God. And I'm here to provide that for you. So anyone, anyone who comes to me who's hungry, they're not going to hunger anymore. Anyone who comes to me and that's thirsty, they're not going to thirst anymore. Anyone that comes to me and believes in me will have eternal life. See, folks, I think our human soul, again, it longs for union with God because it was created for that. And Jesus desires to freely give that to us. I want to read this next section and we'll continue to dig this out a little more. It says, so now in verse 41, it says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said this. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. 
Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52 says, Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, What can this man give us? What, how can this man give us, excuse me, his flesh to eat? So after seeking Jesus out, after having this dialogue, after him giving his answer, where do they turn? They turn again to physical realities and physical things. They turn again to this history of God's provision and God's work and God's doing thing in their lives. And instead of those being things that help promote faith and help them to see the new reality and the work that God is lovingly doing in their lives, instead it's a hindrance to them. Because they view it all just from this physical perspective. Wait, what? We know who your parents are. You can't be the one that we're expecting. Or how can you say that you're going to give us something that's going to satisfy our soul? We know Joseph. We know Mary. We know all that. A miracle given to point them and invite them to faith, and yet it's a hindrance. He says to them, and he speaks again of this manna. God gave the manna from heaven, but your family, your ancestors, they ate it, and what happened? They died. (laughs) But I am here to give you a new type of bread, a new engagement, a new way of interacting a new satisfaction, and it says then what? They disputed among themselves, how can he give us his flesh to eat? Again, they turn and they understand just from a physical perspective. And on one hand, I look at these guys and I go, what are they tripping about? You know, like, come on, still you don't get it. And yet if I'm honest, church, I'm pretty much just like them, aren't I? I? I do often the same things. I look at the realities of the way that God has interacted in my life and in my world. I look at the blessings, the gift, the grace, the love. I look at his provision. I look at all of that. And often in times of allowing that to propel me to look at God with a greater seeking and a longing for, Lord, what's the next step of faith that you would call me to? Often I look at it and go, awesome, thank you so much. See, I think, church, if we're honest, one of the things that we all would acknowledge we long for is, is for soul satisfaction. We know we need restoration, right? We long for it. We know this world needs transforming, and and we long for it. And yet so often we seek for all kinds of things to make it happen. We rush after, we labor after, we work after. And yet Jesus is coming and saying, apart from me, those longings are always going to be there. Those things, again, that you think are so central, those are actually the periphery. But if you long for satisfaction, if you long to see your soul satisfied, Allow me to be that center. Allow me to be that one thing that you need to consume of. Because you recognize and you acknowledge that all your basic needs are already met. And so if you can pick one thing that you want to consume, Jesus' invitation is to say, consume me. Consume of me. Let all those other things be a way of, again, allowing you to see and to recognize God's love for you and and the way he, he wants to consume you in his love and in his care. And in return, would you consume me? Would you let me be the one thing that you desire to partake of in your day, in your week, in your life. So what we long for is I think that we actually, we want more of Jesus. But I think sometimes we're, we're afraid to be honest about what are the longings that we actually really have with him. 
thinking he doesn't care about it, he doesn't know it, or that's not a valid longing, or that's not a spiritual thing. You know, if it's part of your life, he cares, and he sees it, he knows, just like he saw and he knew that the people in the field that day were hungry, and what he did was provide for them abundantly. I think sometimes we can also uh, tend to be afraid or unwilling to take a step of faith. Here again, we see Jesus constantly, even just laying it out for them, these little, almost little crumbs, right? Like, here you go, I'm leading you to the truth. And sometimes we're afraid, I think, even to follow like these steps because we're going, I'm not sure exactly, I can't see what the full final picture is. And all I get, Jesus, is you're giving me this one little thing that you're asking me to do in faith and I'm just, I'm not sure I can do that or I want to do that. Or I think, again, sometimes that the way that we've known Lord, the way that we've walked with him, the stories we get from our family, all of these things, we go, okay, that's the way God shows up. That's the way God works. And he comes and he invites us, come and be in closer relationship with me. Come and allow me to love you, consume of me, eat of me, be in relationship with me. And we go, I'm just not sure. Because that doesn't really line up with this history of all these things. And Jesus is going, would you come and, come and be with me? Let me be with you. It's interesting that um, Lifeway Research, if you guys know Lifeway Christian stores and stuff, right? They saw all the, the, the stuff. Um, they did a poll recently. With, it, was, it was in the beginning of 2022. They did a poll uh, uh, that they just put out, and they, t- they had 10,000 U.S. Christian respondents. And the poll was to ask honestly, what, what are the things that, if you were honest, have been elevated within your life, basically to a point of, like, idolatry? That it's Jesus, it's for you, it's Jesus plus these things, right? Real, real like, whoa. But because it was online, I think people were like, okay, I'll answer this. It's, it's anonymous, it's whatever. Here, here's what came back from this Life Lifeway research poll from 10,000 Christians here in the U.S. They were honest to say that comfort and security, 67% said comfort and security was at the level for them of like idolatry. Like they know they have Jesus, but they have to have comfort and security. And if you take that from me, then I actually would question like, is God real? Does he love me? 67%, comfort and security was like that thing they have to have. Money was 55%. That was the other, that was a high one. Power and control, 56%. Like I, just, I need to be in control. Like I've got to have it all figured out. I have faith, but I also need to have, have control. And, and my faith has to fit within this realm of stuff that I can control if it's going to be, you know, the way that Jesus and I work and interact. 55% said, uh, uh, 56% said power and control. 51% said approval and success. Like, yeah, I'll follow Jesus, but he better also give me that success. If I'm not successful, then I'm, I'm not really sure if Jesus sees and cares and knows my needs and my longings because I got to have that. The other ones that were high up there, knowledge, sexual pleasure, fun experiences, and work, which was kind of related to that, that approval one. And here's the thing I would propose to you, that as I look at this list, comfort, security, money, power, control, approval, success, knowledge, sexual pleasure, fun experiences, work, each one of these are actually good things. You know what I mean? They're actually morally neutral in a sense. They're, they're not necessarily good or bad other than they're good actually because God created them. Right? We, we need, God desires that, that we have a sense of safety, doesn't he? We're going to actually look at him saying, I'm the good shepherd. Money. That's, that's been part of the world since the beginning, right? And, and God desires that there's an honest exchange of money for, for goods and for services in an honest way, right? That, that's necessary. We need that. Uh, power or control, the sense of authority. Like, we need power structures that are stewarded well within our world for it to function and not just be chaos, right? Like, that, that's necessary. Um, to be successful, that, that's not a bad thing to want to do well, right? That's not bad at all. Knowledge, I mean, 
knowledge has delivered us some amazing wins, right? Knowledge is from God. And yet what we see is that it hasn't prevented a lot of things and it can't solve a ton of things and it can't answer all the things. Uh, sexual pleasure, I mean, se- sexual pleasure, that, that's from God, right? And he's given it to us within the, the structure of marriage for, for pleasure and for good. But when we take it out of that and we elevate it, it actually creates this insatiable appetite for more and more. Fun experiences. God wants us to have fun. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to experience pleasure in this life and things. And yet, if we're honest, even that stuff, it's like it doesn't measure up to our hopes. You know, it doesn't solve the, the, the longing. And work, again, it's a good thing, but I think what we're all realizing, it, it's not worth our ceaseless pursuit, you know? So each of these longings, again, they're good. They're not inherently evil. And I think each of these pursuits, each of these longings, holds within it for us an invitation to experience more of Jesus within our life. But when we elevate these other things, they actually become, as these people were honest enough to admit, they become a false god. They become a thing which prevents us from actually experiencing full life in Christ like we truly long for and desire. I'm grateful for uh, the words of uh, the philosopher Warren Buffett. He said this. He said, the most dangerous distractions are the ones you love but that don't love you back. The most dangerous distractions are the ones that love you but don't love you back. See, again, I think Jesus all throughout this passage is interacting with the Jews and the others that are there, even his own disciples, and he's trying to relay to them this message of God's divine love for them, God's love and desire to be in relationship, so much so that he would send his only son to take on flesh and blood, and ultimately that he's going to lay down his life for them. And all they are is distracted by this manna, (laughs) distracted by this historical story, distracted by all of the knowledge and the things that they think that they have to disqualify Jesus from who he's saying and how he's showing up to them to say, no, look, I am it. Consume of me. I am true life. Be with me. The most dangerous distractions are the ones you love, but that don't love you back. The point of, what's the point of consumption? If I were to ask it, what's the point of consumption? Again, yeah, no, it's not a bad thing, right? The point of consumption is what? It's that it fills up a place in us that feels empty, right? I'm hungry, so I eat. I'm thirsty, so I drink. Fills up something that, that's lacking, that's missing. Here's my question for you. How aware are you of your appetite for Jesus? And I think we're all pretty aware of my appetite for food, my appetite for water, my appetite for work, my appetite for these things. If you were honest and you had to think about how aware are you of your appetite for Jesus? The God who's come down and says to us, eat of me and drink of me. Let my love consume you and you consume of my love. What I've found out part over the last number of months and just talking about it more even this week was the reality that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hungry for Jesus, but sometimes I just deny the appetite and I try to fill it with other things. Uh, the staff team knows I, um, I have a sweet tooth. <laughs> and um, one of the things that uh, Kelly will tease me about or will laugh about is the fact that uh, I, sometimes I'll buy these little bags of chocolates or my kids will get chocolate at Easter or at these different holidays and I'll take certain ones and I put them in the fridge or I put them in the pantry. And what I found, this was really over the last year or so throughout the pandemic, um, was that 
there was times when I'd be stressed, right? It was, it was really like in the, that probably, yeah, 2021, really, uh, at the beginning of it, when things just felt so gnarly. You know, we're working from home, we're doing all that, you know, the kids are working, or school from home, so maybe it was 2020, excuse me for my timing. But anyways, it was that season, you know what I'm talking about? Like, everybody was at home, everybody's there, for school, for work, for everything, you're trying to balance everything, it's all stressful, whatever. And as this is happening, like, I would feel myself, like, getting stressful and trying to, like, figure this out, and what I would do is I would just leave the room that everybody else was in, I would walk into the kitchen, I'd open the pantry, I'd pop a chocolate, and I'd sit there and eat it, and then it would, I'd, like, and then I'd be able to walk back in and interact with people in that room. And I had to admit and acknowledge I was, I was doing that. What was I doing? There was something going on inside of me, a longing for something more, right? And I knew I needed something to help me get through what was going on here. And for me, chocolate was the fix. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you eat that chocolate and you get that little, <gasps> that zing, you know? For some of you, it's coffee. For some of you, it's whatever. But for me, it was just those chocolates. So I, I started actually confessing that to Kelly. I'd be like, dude, I, I went into the kitchen again and I ate the chocolate, you know? <laughs> And what I had to begin to do is just acknowledge and go, like, that, that's, that's it's not horrible, but it's, it's actually not healthy. I'm turning to something to get my fix in order for me to be able to relate and be okay, like to be a decent human within my own home. My heart, what my heart was longing for was, was, was peace. What my heart was longing for was some handles to kind of get around, how do I do this, to, to grow in this? How do I get transformation in this? How do I experience more full life in this than I'm, than I'm you tracking with me? And so I began to process, and the team helped me figure out a little more this, uh, this week thinking about it. Here, here's what I want to encourage us to do. And, and I could talk to you, I mean, you guys, do you guys remember a couple, uh, again, towards the end of the pandemic, I came here and I confessed like my eBay, my eBay addiction. You guys remember that, that one? It was the same thing. It was like I, there would just be this stress and this tension or whatever. And so I would just pick up my phone and I would just scroll and I'd jump on eBay and go like, what, what card can I buy? What thing could I do? You know what I'm saying? And I had to just admit and go, that, that's a hunger. That's a longing. Like this is pointing to something else. And even if I bid on this and I win this thing, that's not going to satisfy and actually fix the reality of what I'm, what I'm wanting. I just had to be honest with myself and go, look, my soul is longing for something greater, a greater sense of satisfaction, a greater sense of life more abundantly, and the things that I'm finding around me are just not it. How aware are you? How aware am I of my appetite truly for Jesus? So church, here's what I want to do. I want to make this practical for us because I don't think, again, that the, I don't want to, again, the, the, the people in the story were focused on that working, that laboring. What are the things I have to do? And I don't think that's the answer. But I think the answer is a greater awareness to where is Jesus actually showing up to us in our world, but we just kept getting hung up on these old things. And so I want to share with you a couple questions that, yeah, I've just started to ask myself and, again, the team helped me formulate this a little bit out of my experiences. But next time that you find yourself sitting in a place, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, wherever that is, and all of a sudden you're just, you're grabbing for that thing, like, almost, you know what I mean, like second nature, or you're going, you're going for the chocolates, whatever it is for you, I want to invite you to, to, to pause and, and grow in some awareness of where you're at and where Jesus is trying to meet you. Because what I propose to you is that whatever you can notice and recognize in there, you're actually longing for more of Christ. And he's there to show up. We just have to kind of be aware. So here's the thing. The next, next time you feel yourself going for your thing, I want you to pause and ask, what, what am I feeling? And what am I seeking? What am I actually seeking in this moment? 
And then ask yourself, what do I think or believe that this is actually going to satisfy? In other words, what am I hoping to feel? (laughs) Because I'm feeling this one thing, and by going to this thing and consuming it, I'm hoping to feel this other thing. And then I encourage you to pause and take a moment and and talk with Jesus about what you're longing, what you're feeling. What's, What's the appetite that you have? And invite him, just as he did to the people on the hill. Just as he was doing to the, to the people in this, this whole narrative here. Invite him to speak to you. And invite you into a greater depth of truth and of reality in your relationship with God than you're currently sitting at right now. Allow him to patiently, compassionately, lovingly speak to you and seek to reveal greater truth to your heart, to your mind. And ask yourself, yeah, Jesus, how are you inviting me to experience true life in you? Now, church, this morning, um, we're going to take communion together. If if you didn't grab one or get one, there should be some on the back table, and you you have every right to get up and and go do that. I invite you to. And at home, I hope you have something as well. But what Jesus says in this gospel here is he says that my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink and whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now look, we're we're not Catholics. We don't believe in what's called transubstantiation. We don't believe that as we consume this, that this actually is the body and the blood of Christ. You guys following with me? You tracking with me? I don't believe that there's anything miraculous that happens right here now in this moment that this becomes the physical body and blood of Jesus. There are those that believe that, and I think it actually distracts. But what we believe is that this is a sign and this is a symbol that points to Jesus' death on the cross. Him coming down, him being the one sent by the Father, just as the manna was sent from heaven to satisfy and sustain and give life to the people in the desert. We believe that this points to the reality that Jesus Christ is not only the prophet, is not only the rabbi, but he is the Son of God who has come from the Father, sent in love to enter into this world, to take on humanity, to enter into our human experience, to fulfill and to satisfy every longing that we have to set us free from the entrapments and the idols, to forgive us of those things and to set us free in true life. And this morning, we're going to take this. And as we do, or before you do, I've asked that the, those questions would be up there. And I want to give you some space. Kelly's going to come and he's going to lead us in worship in response to this word. But I invite you this, this morning during this first song, don't, don't take this just yet. I invite you to take a look at these questions, though, and even now begin that process. I want you to take stock of where's your heart? What are the things you're longing this morning? After this week, what are the things you're seeking? What are the things you're hungry for? And talk to the Lord and be honest. What are the things, though? Here's the things, then, Jesus that I'm running after. Here's these things that I'm trying to consume in order to fill 
this void, to fill this pain, to fill this hurt, to try to work my way through this confusion. Here, here's all these things, if I'm honest, that I turn and I run to. And at the same time, Jesus, if I'm honest, they just don't satisfy me. And so would you come? Would you meet me here in this space? Would you remind me and show me that, that what I'm about to do, what I'm about to receive, is a reminder to me of your love, of your faithfulness, of the truth that you can satisfy the longings of my soul. And so I invite you to, to spend time to process that and then to take it. Um, and Kelly will lead us into to taking that in, in, as we take that next song. So let me, let me just pray, and then I invite you into a moment of contemplation there. And so, Lord, thank you for your love and your goodness to us. Thank you, God, that we get to gather freely here this morning. And thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for um, illumination and revelation of your word. And Lord, I, I believe that um, every time your word goes out, that there's a purpose for which you intend it to fulfill. And right now, I just I release my desire for what I intend, but say, Lord, would you work and would you move and would you talk to your kids here this morning? Speak to us, Jesus. Speak to us, Father. Speak, Holy Spirit. Give us revelation of what's really going on in our hearts and our souls and the things that we hunger and we long for. And Holy Spirit, would you do what later Jesus says in the Gospel of John that is your job, that, that you lead and guide into all truth. Would you lead and guide us into truth this morning of how incredibly loved we are by you and how you can and desire to fulfill the longings of our soul. And I pray even that you would give us, Lord, just some of, some of, the, some of the steps, some of the things that you'd be calling us into that would be steps of freedom, steps towards greater communion with you, steps toward greater union with you. Free us, Lord, from the things that hinder and bind us from faith and from belief and from moving deeper in life with you. Free us from those things, Jesus. Lord, would your love consume us this morning, even as we take this reminder of your body broken and your blood poured out. Consume us with your love this morning, Jesus. I pray this in your name.